Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Exodus chapter 15, this is directly following the account of the children of Israel and their escape from Israel or from Egypt. I'm sorry. How that the Lord has led them out of Egypt. In chapter 14, they cross over, uh, on, and Pharaoh's army is destroyed with the Red Sea as they cross over on dry land. And all these things have happened. And in chapter 15, Moses and the children of Israel begin to sing a song, and they sing a song about the Lord. And, and Moses has been following God during this whole time. From the moment that Moses met that burning bush that was not consumed there on the mountain, until now, Moses has followed God's instructions to a T, even when they were the craziest things you could ever imagine. And so Moses has fully submitted to the Lord. And in verse number 20, Miriam, who is a sister to Moses, the prophetess, as the Bible says, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And she's referencing the final portion of chapter 14, how that God used the same sea that He split to let them walk over on dry land to drown all of Pharaoh's armies. And can I say, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but I've heard people try to, uh, in, their, in their infinite wisdom, disprove the Bible and act like God's not so big by saying this actually was what they call the Reed Sea, and it was only you know, maybe a few inches or a foot deep at different places or whatever, not deep enough at all for anything serious. First of all, I can't split a river or a creek and walk on dry land. Second of all, it's pretty impressive God could drown Pharaoh and all his armies in one foot of water. Uh, either way, it's a miracle, and the world's foolishness just doesn't cut it with the wisdom of God. And right here, Miriam and all of the children of Israel, she tells, tells them, let's all sing for the Lord. And then verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? 25. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Verse 27, And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. It's kind of a, uh, a tale here. Of, of two different stories in this passage. You've got the children of Israel, <clears throat> they have come out from the Red Sea, and 
And the book of Exodus is a book of miracles. I mean, God does miraculous thing after miraculous thing, all for their benefit. First of all, to set them out, to set them free from the land of Egypt with the ten plagues, God did things like no one had ever seen. And now that He's set them free, He's going to begin to do more and more things like no one's ever seen. Like crossing the Red Sea, like turning the, the, the bitter water sweet, like, like uh, sending manna down from heaven and, and leading them with a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day through the wilderness. And God's going to do some crazy and miraculous things. God has delivered them from slavery. He's delivered them from sure destruction as they stood there at the sea. He, he's delivered them from, from everything. And as far as God is concerned, He has not changed one bit. He's been faithful, and He's proved them, and He's shown them again and again how faithful He really is. Unfortunately, God is faithful. We're not so faithful. It's easy to be very critical of the children of Israel, and, and with good reason. They were hard-headed. Amen. They just struggled to get it. Right here we have, I would consider this a very good picture of how the children of Israel are going to be forever. God does something miraculous. God rescues them. They throw up their hands and praise God. They grab their instruments and they play and they sing. And they worship the Lord and they say, Sing ye to the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath He thrown into the sea. And then three days later, they're murmuring against Moses. They have very short memories, don't they? The children of Israel have very short memories. And as I've read recently in my, in my daily Bible reading, I recently read through these first five books again. And as, as you read through the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, something that is consistently happening is what happens in these few verses. God does something miraculous. They praise God. Then they turn grumpy and turn their eyes away from God and begin to complain. And then God sends them a message. And then it repeats all over again. And sometimes this goes a little worse. Sometimes God sends judgment. Sometimes God just sends a message. But over and over again, what I have found is this, and it's kind of a thought the Lord laid on my heart, and I'll probably preach a few messages on this thought at different times, on this idea concerning some things that will keep you in the wilderness. Now we know what the promised land is, right? Canaan. Oftentimes people think of the promised land and they think of heaven. But the promised land in the Old Testament, Canaan, is not a picture of heaven. Canaan is a picture of the fulfilled Christian life. It is a picture of you as a Christian being where God wants you to be. Doing what God wants you to do. It's in the place that He's prepared for you. Doing the thing that He's prepared for you to do. It is you and God in harmony and everything the way that it's supposed to be between you and God. That is what the promised land is a picture of. Amen. Because uh, the wilderness is the opposite of that. The wilderness is not where God wanted the children of Israel to be. Can we agree? The wilderness is where they had to pass through, and it's, it's a place where we all spend some time in our life, in a difficult place, in a place of, of, of trying. It's like God said here, He said He proved them. The wilderness was a place of proving. Amen. Uh, it was a place of testing. Could God have sent them water during those three days? Yes, He could have. 
but he didn't. Instead, he wanted them to go three days and see what would happen. And in three days, they came to a place where God had prepared a miracle. You understand? In three days, let me put it to you like this, and I want to hurry into my message, but the place was called Mara. You know what that means? It was well known for being a place of bitter water. It didn't just turn bitter. It's called Mara, and the bitter water, it said, and therefore was it called Mara, which means bitter. It was literally named after nasty water. Amen. God had prepared to take them into that place that everybody knew was a bitter place and turn it into a sweet place. That was God's plan. But on the way, they became, uh, they became, they became dissatisfied. And that's why I want to preach on this morning some things that will keep you in the wilderness. Today I want to talk about dissatisfaction. The children of Israel throughout their time in the wilderness especially showed a spirit of being dissatisfied. That even when God would answer them, it was never enough. It was only ever enough right now until they got their eyes on the next good thing or the next best thing. That the place God had for them eh, wasn't quite good enough. That the things that God prepared for them eh, wasn't quite good enough. And how that a dissatisfied spirit can steal away from you the joy that God wants you to have in your life. Let's look here in the Bible first. I want to show how that they were dissatisfied with God's provision. And I'm going to jump around and, and give you a number of verses through a few books here in the Bible. and uh, Just try to follow along quickly with me if you can. I'm sure they'll be up on the screen where you can see that as well. But concerning God's provision, they were dissatisfied. They were not willing to endure hardness. They were looking for instant gratification. Amen? Now, and we all know that describes our society today. Amen. How, how many of you, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little example. Y'all ever go to fast food restaurants in Shepherdsville on Wednesday night? I don't know what it is about Shepherdsville on Wednesday night, but the drive-thrus are cursed. They either shut down early and put a sign, we're not open, don't, don't come here, even though they're supposed to be open, or they've got lines out the road. We, we were brilliant, you know, modern technology. We downloaded the, uh, the White Castle app. That's right, you know, I was looking for some destruction, and so I thought, I'm going to just kill my body and eat White Castle at 9 p.m. And we're going to White Castle. I got the app out, and I'm ordering it. I'm like, we'll order it. We'll just swing by. We'll pick it up and go home. Amen. Well, they shut the, they shut the dining room down, and they won't let you go inside to get your food. You have to go through the drive-thru. We didn't know that. We got there and had 15 minutes until our order was ready, so we sat in the parking lot. 20 minutes, 15 minutes went by. Brooke goes to the door. It's locked. She calls them. Oh, yeah, you got to go through the drive-thru. The drive-thru has been to the road since we got there. We circled around, got back in the road to get into the drive-thru line, and we're in the drive-thru for an hour and 15 minutes. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll just tell you, an hour and 15 minutes, and, and I'm telling you, the whole time I'm thinking, this is, this is a true trial. This right here is what the, this is, this is the persecution of the saints, right here. I'm enduring, I'm enduring the fiery trial in this white cat. I mean, that's how you feel. But let's be real, it's not that big a deal. And when it was all said and done, I got sick on White Castles just like I was going to if it took me 15 minutes. Amen. You know, I'm like, oh, well, this was a mistake. It was good while it lasted. But that's just the way life goes. We want it now. Amen. Trying to load a web page on your phone. And if it takes more than five seconds, it's like, what's wrong with you? Amen. 
I remember dial-up. I'm sure a lot of y'all do too. You know, the noise that would come on. I remember when I was a kid, I was a teenager, there was a new movie coming out, and I was really excited for it, and I wanted to download the trailer and watch it. And the trailer on the screen was about that big, I kid you not, and it took 45 minutes to load a two-and-a-half-minute trailer. And I was like, this is incredible. Now I pull out my phone, and I'm like, come on, you stupid thing, because we're not willing to wait. We want it, and we want it now, and when we're ready for it, my son's that way. Amen. He was that way this morning. I was feeding him, feeding him, reaching around the chair and giving him some food. And give him food. He wants it now. He doesn't want to wait. It's, it's what it is, is it's minor complaints. And the children of Israel were full of minor complaints. They were just, they were murmurers. That's what we'll call them. In our passage here, Exodus chapter 15, verse 24, what'd they do? It said, the people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? These are minor complaints. God just took them through an ocean on dry land three days ago and killed all their enemies, and they've already started complaining. Amen. How short their memories are. They should have had faith. The moment somebody said, what are we going to drink? Somebody should have said, I mean, God just split an ocean. Maybe, let's go ask Moses. Hey, Moses, would you, would you ask God if he'd give us some water? They don't do that. You know what they do? And that Moses, stinking Moses, he don't even care if we have something to drink. He ain't offered us a drink in three days. What's he doing? What's he doing? And they're murmuring and complaining. These little bitty things in life that should have been nothing. Just a small little bump, just a little toot and go on. No big deal. But to them, suddenly it became a, everybody's whispering, everybody's talking, everybody's complaining. Nothing's really quite good enough. Just all it took was a little thirst, and they lost faith in the provision of God. That was their minor complaint. Let me show you their melodramatic complaints. Every issue from this point, as you go through the Bible, in fact, the next chapter, they become very melodramatic, very throw up their hands and fall down and rent their clothes and hands in the air crying out over every little thing. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 2 says this, The whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For you brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Moses had a lot of patience. The next chapter... Verse 17, chapter two, uh, verse number 2, the Bible says, Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this, that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Well, now they're complaining for their cows. They are dramatic. That word chided, it means they're berating and fussing and complaining and arguing. And they're coming at Moses with an angry spirit because they're thirsty and because they're hungry. And they're saying, you know, why'd you bring us out here to kill us all? That's crazy. Can you all agree that's crazy? Moses didn't want to kill them. Moses just put his own life on the line to save them. Moses got booted out of the royal family because he killed an Egyptian for striking Hebrews. 
He's on, if anybody is on their side, Moses is on their side. If anybody is on their side, Moses is on their side. And they're accusing him. You brought us out here to kill us, didn't you? Yeah, you're right. We asked God to part the Red Sea and destroy all your enemies so we could starve you to death out here. That doesn't make sense. It's dramatic. Their, their complaints are, are getting worse and worse and worse, and they're getting more dramatic, and then we see their manna complaints. Verse, or Exodus chapter 16 here, and verse number 4, they've come to him, they're hungry, we want food, and what does, what does God do? Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Can I say I've been hungry? I've been hungry. I've even said, Lord, if I don't get something to eat soon, man, shoo. Bread's never fell out of heaven for me. I've never looked up and thought, where's the bread? Here are the children of Israel complaining, oh, why'd you bring us out here to kill us? What's God do? God says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. I'm going to do another miracle. Because God is trying to woo them. Like a, like, a, like a man who's trying to win the heart of a lady or vice versa and, and trying to show them his love and his great provision. And he wants them to trust him. They were thirsty. He, he, he turned the waters of Marah sweet. They were hungry. He sent bread from heaven. In chapter 17, I believe, it was there where they were thirsty again. And God let Moses bring water up out of the rock there, smiting the rock of Horeb. So God again and again and again and again is going to give them what they want. And, you know, and some might would even say, well, God, you're kind of enabling their, bad, their, their negative activity, you know, their negative attitudes. But God is just trying to show them, these people who have been in a bad place for a long time, you know, let's cut them some slack. God's trying to show them. But every time He does, immediately, seems they completely forget. God provides for them. God provides for them. And in Exodus chapter 16, they send the, God sends the bread down from heaven. He said, the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. So God, not, He doesn't just give them the bread, but He tells them, you've got to go at this time of day, get this much, get double on, on the day before the Sabbath, don't go out on the Sabbath, and if you leave it and don't collect it, it's going to rot and to see if they would do it. You know what? They didn't do it. They had rotten bread some days, people going when they shouldn't, and they just didn't listen. And God's like, come on, guys. You, you know, Come on, guys. You can do this. You can get it. But they were just not satisfied with the way that God was providing for them. Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. God literally dropping bread out of heaven. And all they want to do is complain about how it doesn't taste like leeks and onions. They were not satisfied with what God had for them. The whole time, God, they're in, a, they're, in a, they're in a bad place. The wilderness is not a great place. It's dry, it's hot, it's not comfortable. But the promise is, if you'll just walk in my way, and you'll just stick with me, I'm taking you somewhere. They weren't satisfied with that. They wanted the milk and the honey now. And they wanted the calves now. And they wanted the leeks now, and the onions now. And they were sick of this Manna. Who wants this stuff anyway? 
Nothing but manna, days and days and days on end. I, I want what they've got. They were dissatisfied. They were dissatisfied with God's provision. They were dissatisfied with God's protection. If it hadn't been for, for God, then Israel would have been picked clean in the wilderness. Amen. They're out there no time before their enemies start rising up. We talked Wednesday night about the story of Aaron and her and how that the Amalekites had, had found out Israel was there, and boom, they go out. They're like, we're going to take them out. And if God hadn't helped them then, they'd have died there. Over and over again, God protects them miraculously. With God's protection, they were dissatisfied. He defended them from the elements, from their enemies, and from their own evil hearts within them, and yet they just were not pleased with the way that God did things. They were unbelieving. Multiple times through these books, the children of Israel murmur, claiming that Aaron and Moses brought them out of, the, out of Egypt to kill them. Do they really believe that? No, they don't really believe that. They're just not happy with the way God's doing things. And they try to pin it on Moses and Aaron, but what you're going to find out is this, it wasn't Moses and Aaron that their complaints were going up against. Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16 is a sad chapter. Numbers chapter 16, the children of Israel have spent some time out in the wilderness, and they have seen miracle after miracle. They have also seen the punishment of God on those who would not obey the law. They have seen all these things happen. They came all the way up to Kadesh Barnea, and men came walking out with grapes between their shoulders, flowing with milk and honey, and were still dissatisfied with what God had, and were still dissatisfied with God's protection. And when, when Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron said, let's believe God and go in, they did not believe. They were unbelieving of God's protection. They said, we can't do it. And because of that, now they're not going to go into the promised land. And because the people turned against God, and turned against Moses, and turned against Aaron, now they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Chapter 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men, of renown. Well, bless them. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy. First of all, no, they're not. Those dumbos are the reason y'all just missed out on the promised land. They're not so holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Well, Korah, the, the ringleader, if you will, got his buddies, and they've probably been sitting around talking about this for a while. Who does Moses really think he is anyway? Who died and made him uh, the, the man of God? Who died and made him the leader of all Israel? Why does he think that he's the boss? And how come he gets to make all the decisions and, and blah, 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 murmuring and complaining and murmuring and complaining, gets together with the sons of Eliab, and, and they go around, they go get them all a bunch of men, Men that the Bible said were men of renown, which means they had, uh, you know, famous in all the congregation. Everybody knew who they were. Probably the stronger warriors and this guy that everybody liked and the more charismatic and whatever. They all got together. They come to Moses and they said, hey, you two, you take too much upon yourselves. 
You guys have raised yourselves up above all the people. And who, who died and made you Lord? And who did this and who did that? Look at verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Do you see the difference between Korah and Moses? Korah is looking at the man of God and saying, who do you think you are? And he comes at him. Who, who died and made you Lord of all Israel? You, you just think you're this and you think you're that. And everybody out here is holy. We're all as holy as you are. And here you are doing this and doing that. What's Moses do? Bows out before him on his face. The difference between Korah and Moses is a key attribute in leadership. Humility. Without it, you cannot lead the people of God. Any man who would try to use the calling, if you will, of God as a platform to build his kingdom is a Korah. But any man who would lay on his face before God and the people of God is a Moses. Can you see that? Moses laid out on his face and he spake unto Korah and, even, and all the company saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are His and who is holy and will cause Him to come near unto Him. Even Him who He hath chosen will He cause to come near unto Him. And in Moses saying that, here's what he said. I'm not going to argue about this. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to deliberate. We're not going to have an election. These are the children of Israel. They are the people of God. Not the people of Moses, the people of God. And so we will let God choose who He wants to use to lead His people. We're talking about the fact that the children of Israel were dissatisfied with God's protection in that they understood not that it was God who was in control. It was God's choice what trials they went through. Are y'all listening? It was God's choice when He would step in and when He would allow them to go through some suffering. It was God's choice when He would do something miraculous or when He would send a simple answer like sticking the tree into the water. It was God's protection, not men. It was God. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 20, further down in the chapter. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Now this is happening after verse 19, when Korah gathered all the congregation. Here's what it said, listen. Korah gathered all the congregation against them under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. It says that Korah gathered all the congregation against them. You know what that means? Korah has got all the people on his side. It's not just this one crazy rebel. Now I believe probably Joshua and Caleb and a few faithful men and ones who, were, who had a head on their shoulders probably stood back. But the point is this. The congregation, the children of Israel, thousands, have all gathered against Moses. Here's what God says. Moses, you and Aaron... Step, step this way a little bit. Because I'm about to consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. You see it? 
You see the humility on one side and the pride on the other side? What's our verse tell us in the book of James? But God resisteth the proud, giveth grace unto the humble. Here's what Moses and Aaron do. They fall on their face. They don't step back and cross their arms. Oh, y'all done messed up now. Y'all are about to get what's coming to you. That's not what happens. They fall on their face. Oh, God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So, God has now answered the prayer of Moses and Aaron with grace. He's told him, Go tell them that they need to get away from these three men. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And not just them, but all those fellows they brought with them who were, who were well, we're not going to leave your side, and we got your back, and we're going to ride this train all the way till you're the boss, and, and we're going to push this through. And, and they just weren't satisfied with God's protection in the fact that they did not understand that the reason God had chosen Moses is if someone like Korah had been in charge, they wouldn't have made it over the Red Sea. Amen. God protected them by sending a man who would not only be humble, but would listen to everything God told him to do. That he would submit to God. That he did not have an ego problem, but he just wanted to serve God and be used of God. And God picked the right man. So Moses does. He does what God told him to do, and he told him. He said, this is what's going to happen. He said, y'all need to get away. He said, depart, I pray you from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got up and they went away from the tabernacle of Korah and all of them. And in verse 28, here Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own mind. If these men die the common death of all men, if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and all that appertaineth unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then you shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. It came to pass as he made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and all their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed 250 men that offered incense. Verse 35 tells us what happens not just to those who are, who are causing it all, but those who allow the lies of the devil and the lies of the world to steal away from them their faith in God and His provision. Unfortunately, when a few foolish, prideful people get lifted up in their vision of themselves, they always bring other people down with them. Verse 41. Now, in verse 
in verse 37, in these first, uh, what was it, 36, I think it was, or I've lost, uh, verse 35, the fire comes out, consumes those men that were with them, not just Korah, but their whole household, all of it's gone. They have seen, what did Moses say? He said, this ain't me. This isn't my thing. I'm not doing this. It's God. And so if it's God's, we're going to let God choose. And if, if they die any kind of normal death, I'm wrong. But if the earth opens up, swallows them, and all that pertain to them, it's God, and God is showing you that, that I'm just following Him, and He has chosen. That seems like a pretty specific thing, doesn't it? They die normal, I'm wrong. If the earth opens up with a new thing and swallows them, then God chose me. And then the earth opens up and swallows them. Does that seem like a pretty decisive and definitive answer from God? Verse 41. But on the morrow, so that's tomorrow. That's one day later, right? In the morning. Maybe not even a whole 24 hours. Probably not. The congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. I didn't know Moses had superhero earth powers. I didn't know that he could open the earth and swallow people whole. But apparently, they must have known something that I don't. Because they said Moses and Aaron killed those men. But from my perspective, I'm pretty sure that it was God. What do you think? came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And God is now going to send a plague out to punish them again because of what? Because they just don't understand that it is God who's in control. And they're just not satisfied. And why aren't they satisfied? They're not satisfied because God is not doing things the way that they want things done. Can you see that? They, they happen to like Korah. And they happen to like the sons of uh, Eliab. They happen to like them. Things didn't go their way. And so they complained. Here's the final point. I want you to get this this morning. We'll be done. Not only were they dissatisfied with God's provision with the manna and the water, not only were they dissatisfied with protection and how that God didn't just snap all their enemies out of existence and God didn't let them choose who was in control and God didn't let them choose who led and, and all those things, but they, they didn't have things the way they wanted them. What they didn't understand is they talked about the provision and they talked about God's protection and they talked about God's man, Moses and Aaron, and the ones that God chose, and they murmured and complained and murmured and complained and pointed fingers, and God kept showing them, hey guys, I'm the one in charge, and they still didn't get it, but what they didn't understand was this. Their dissatisfaction wasn't just with the provision, and it wasn't just with God's protection, but it was with God's person. Exodus chapter 16, and verse number 8. They've been murmuring against Moses. We read some verses there from Exodus 16 before how that they didn't have bread and, and then the manna is coming down and, and Moses is going to speak to them about, about that manna and here's what he said. This shall be when the Lord shall give you 
in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against Him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Here's what Moses said, looking at me, himself, and, and looking at Aaron, he said, what am I? <laughs> Who am I? I'm just a man that God has used. I'm just a mouthpiece. I'm just a pile of flesh that God chose to use in this way. What am I that you think that I've got some kind of power? And what's Aaron? What are we? Your murmurings aren't against us. This isn't the Moses show. Your murmurings are against God. They didn't trust His ways. Over and over, God sent word to His people. In Exodus 19, He, he brings Moses, His chosen man, up on Mount Sinai to deliver His word to the people in His own handwriting. And while He's up there, they couldn't even wait three days. They thought they knew better than God. They turned from God. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know how many times they saw people die because they didn't trust God? How many times they saw plagues and fire, earth opening up, people dying, people being punished because they didn't trust God? And yet every time something comes along, it's like they forget. They didn't trust His ways. They didn't want His worship. There at that Mount Sinai, Moses up on the mount, Literally, the cloud and the smoke of the furnace up above there where Moses is up there and God pinning the Ten Commandments. They're down there worshiping a golden calf that they form with their own hands. They're not happy with his worship. They don't like the way he does things. They want to do things their way. They want to put their spin on it. They're not happy with God. They're not happy with his ways. They're not happy with his worship. And they didn't trust his word. You'd think that you know, honestly, you'd think that it would only take one or two times of God saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't do this. You know what? In, is, in Egypt, you know what happened? Ten times they heard, if you don't let my people go, this will happen. And every time, what God said came to pass. Every time. The blood, the water turned to blood, the frogs, the flies, the sores, the darkness. The death of the firstborn. Every time God said, if you don't, then this. If you do this, then this. If you do this, then this. And every single time, it happened just like God said it would. They didn't get it. They'd forget. Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. What kept the children of Israel in the wilderness was their dissatisfaction. They thought they knew better than God. They thought things should have went this way and things went that way. They thought this one should have been in charge and God put this one in charge. They thought they should have went to that place and, and God took them to this place. And God told them from the very beginning, I brought you to this place of Mara to prove you. And then when he sent down the bread, he said, I'm sending down the bread to prove you, whether you'll listen to what I'm telling you. 
And every time he tested them, they failed. It's no wonder God didn't take them into the promised land. So what's the promised land? It's where God wants you to be. It's you and God in perfect harmony. You and God in unity. and You you in the perfect will of God. In the place you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Not because it's what you think, but because it's what God wants. And so many people walk through life and never, ever get out of the spiritual wilderness. They're constantly battling their sin. They're constantly battling themselves and never dedicate to God. Never give themselves fully over to the work that God wants them to be in. Never give themselves fully over to the place that God wants them to be in. And why? Because they just, they're looking for something better. They're looking for that over there. Well, I don't want to do this. I want to do that. I don't want to be here. I want to be there. Where you need to be is where God wants you to be. And what you need to be doing is what God wants you to be doing. Amen. Israel should have known that no one would ever take care of them like God did. After seeing the Red Sea and, and the miracles of the waters and manna, what they do, Moses on the mountain with God, let's make a golden cow. How's that going to work out? How is this thing that you just made with your own hands ever going to stand up to what the God of heaven's done? How, is it, how does that make any sense? How is it ever going to happen? They, they should have allowed God to have complete control in their lives, but instead, they kicked against the pricks. They fought with God. They struggled to obey Him. And it always ended the same way. Like in Numbers 14, verse 26, the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say unto them, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. Every one of them, 20 years old and up, die in the wilderness and never know what it's like to be in the perfect will of God. Because God finally got sick of trying to make them. He said, fine, sulk in the wilderness for the rest of your life. I've given you every chance. I've given you every miracle. I've spoken to you and spoken to you and drawn and tried and tried and tried. Now here you are. You'll die in the wilderness. But can I tell you this morning, there is hope for the Christian. I don't know where you're at this morning with God and your walk with God. I don't know where you're at in terms of God's will. I don't know if you're here this morning because, well, it's, it's Sunday. Or if you're here this morning because you're trying to live in God's will. But I can tell you this. No matter if you're 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, or beyond, God has a will for your life. He's got a place where He wants you. He's got a part He wants you to play. And it's not based on who else is there. It's not based on where you're at in your walk of life. It's not based on what you think or what you know. It's based on one thing. God. He's the King of glory. He's the Lord of lords. I'm no king. I'm no Lord. You're no king. You're no Lord. I'm not a master. I'm a servant. He's the master. The word minister, it means 
servant. That's what the word minister means. Well, I want to be in the ministry. Amen. Well, let's get to serving. Because that's what ministry is. Service. That's what we are. Servants and, and soldiers in God's army. But what are you? Are you like Moses and Aaron? Are you humble and submitting to God in these, in these moments here, doing what God is trying to tell you to do and, and just and bowing your head and lowering yourself and, and seeking God first? Or are you more concerned with the manna and the water and the temperature and who's in charge and who's there and what's here than you are about God's will? If we want to see the promised land, you know what we're going to need? To be satisfied. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Even after they turned their back on God and God condemned them to die in the wilderness, their shoes never wore out. I never had a pair of shoes the last 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Every morning, manna. Every time they were thirsty, water from the rock, turning the springs sweet. God led them from that place of Marah to the next place where there were ten wells. Everywhere they went, God provided, 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 protected them, took care of them, protected them, took care of them. And things were okay. But can you imagine what their lives would have been like if they had sought God first and what He wanted first. All those years of suffering, the whole thing with Korah never would have happened. They'd have been in Canaan by then. They'd have walked in and saw those grapes with their own eyes and the pomegranates and the figs and the cattle and the cities they didn't build and the vineyards they didn't plant and all the great blessings of God. And they would have thought, Wow, this is so much better than I ever thought it would even be if they just sought God first. A problem comes when we seek what we want God to do for us. We don't seek Him. We seek an idea of what we want, what we think we want, or what we think we need. What interests us, young people, Older folk alike, what interests you doesn't matter. What God wants is all that matters. If you want joy, you want peace, you want a good life, that is the answer. It's not that you won't ever have trouble, but that even in trouble, you can have peace and joy because you're where God wants you to be. Don't let dissatisfaction keep you in the wilderness. Let's all stand. It's brand new if you wouldn't mind.
give you an opportunity to come this morning. I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know this. The Lord wants you to be somewhere. And He's got a plan for you. He's got a job for you. He's got blessings for you. He's got all that for you. The only thing you need to do is go to Him. Say, Lord, I, I, I've been dissatisfied with this in my life. And I've been complaining about that in my life. And I've allowed this to creep up in my heart. And I, I've allowed this to, to creep up in my mind. And Lord, I, I just want you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. This morning, there's only one place that you need to focus your attention. Only one thing that you need to be doing. And that's going to the Lord. Won't you come to the Lord this morning and ask Him to forgive you? Won't you come to the Lord this morning and ask Him, Lord, am I where you want me to be? Am I doing what you want me to do? God, am I, am I where I'm supposed to be? God, how's my heart? How's my spirit? The Lord has a promised land for you, a place that He has just for you. It'd be a shame to miss out on that because you're looking around with a complainative heart, with a dissatisfied spirit. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you, God. Thank you this morning for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness. Thank you, God, Lord, that you are thoughtful of us. Lord, that you love us. Lord, that you are patient with us. Lord, I know there's been so many times in my life, God, where I have turned my eyes from where you want me to look, and I've turned my feet from where you want me to walk because I've got my eyes set on something over there, or I've been thinking about this, or I've been looking over here, and God... All I really needed to do, Lord, was just to be where you'd have me to be. God, I pray this morning, please. There's one here, God, who's allowed a spirit of dissatisfaction, Lord, of, of wanting, God, of, of envy, Lord, of whatever it may be. Lord, I pray, God, you speak to their heart, Lord, that you'd show them there's no life like a life lived for you. God, we love you this morning. We are weak and we do fail you. God, we do make mistakes, but we ask, Lord, if you would, please work in our hearts. God, draw us nearer to you. God, make of us what you'd have us to be. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for all that you do. Pray, Lord, please bless these here this morning. Go with us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.